Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode. This is the 37th episode of AIR, an interview podcast series with a different theme each episode. This month's guest is Berlin-based producer and DJ Joseph Richmond Seaton, also known as Call Super. Perhaps best known for his incredible, often surreal, abstract, and psychedelic compositions like 2014's Breakthrough, Susie Ecto, and 2017's Arpo, Carl Super's love of music runs deep. He's a dedicated producer, starting every day in the studio and working away the hours, whether he feels inspired or not. Music is one of the only pursuits, alongside drawing and painting, that allows him to reach a state of total presence, something he considers one of the foundations of happiness. This kind of retreat became crucial for him many years ago, as a difficult childhood meant he craved the escape that only art could provide. In this conversation, we look back on Joe's early experiences, the escapism he's found in music and art, and the nature of staying present. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Together, we kind of decided on this topic of like staying present, as I'm going to call it, um, mm. based on something you'd said in a past interview about how your job as a DJ really allows you to kind of get into this present mode, which you actually consider sort of one of the foundations of happiness for yourself. Um, so, can you tell me a bit about what exactly staying present means to you, or how would you describe that state that you get into? Basically, all that matters to you is what you're working on. Um, if I'm writing music or uh, writing words or painting a picture or sat having a drink with someone or traveling somewhere, those moments where the rest of the world, the rest of your life, the rest of your future, um, it's just on the other side of your consciousness, mm. you know, you're just focused on the person you're with or you might be looking out of the window on a train and just lost in the scenery or you might be totally um, obsessed with a very particular sound that you're chiseling away at when you're writing some music. And obviously with DJing, it's very easy to see how just the... Um, kind of stakes of the job you know your piece of music that you're playing currently is going to end you don't have long to find another one mm. maybe you do but <laughs> maybe you don't um, and then you know you want to engineer 
that mix right. And you're thinking a couple of tracks ahead, but really, I mean, I, I'm not thinking that much more ahead <laughs> ever if I'm doing it really well. So why is it important for you to reach this place of presence or this sort of mental state? Like, what does it do for you in terms of like happiness or stability or creativity? Um, nowadays, it's just... Uh, uh, you know, my life is 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 not too bad, and it's a nice place to be. Even you know, everyone's lives has the kind of day to day ups and downs, and things that you having a hard time with, the things you're having a good time with. Um, but being totally in what you're doing um, in that moment in time is definitely great for your general or I've always found it a way of just really ameliorating the the difficult times or the, the harder life beyond that moment mm. um, and I think that comes from uh, a very disturbed um, childhood and young adulthood and uh, I definitely used my creative pursuits to just have something that I enjoy doing away from difficult other situations. I think for me, it's one of the things that I actually struggle with the most. I have pretty bad anxiety most mm. of the time. And so it takes a lot for me to sort of keep myself focused in the way that you were describing earlier. Um, oftentimes I have to like physically tell myself out loud, like stay, stay in the moment and things like that. Um, mm. So I wonder if there's been a kind of maybe like training that you've had to do with yourself uh, sort of how like how people learn meditation, for example, um, in order to ensure that you reach that state when you're doing your work, or is it something that just sort of comes to you? I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's very we're very bad kind of self analysts mm -hmm. in that regard. Uh, I feel like I there are probably some things in my early development that perhaps made it easier for me. Uh, I spent a lot of time alone uh, as a kid uh, I was quite ill for a long time and I was in hospital for a lot of my youth I didn't have a TV for a lot of my childhood so I think there were things that uh, obviously encouraged a developing of um, you know I read a lot of books I drew a lot of pictures and these are things that you know if you're in the habit of doing them concentration comes easy you know it really is a muscle that um it's sometimes hard to exercise in the way we live now and the way people, we all have to interact with communication. We're not allowed so much time alone and focusing on, on one task. We're constantly distracted. And so that obviously makes it much harder to find that presence of focus. Can you speak a bit about how you first learned that finding this presence or sort of getting into this zone was something that was beneficial for you. You mentioned that um, it came sort of from your childhood. Um, maybe you want to tell me about that. I think it was just uh, pure escapism. Like when you're just having a, a very difficult time in some areas of your life and then you find something which you have some aptitude for and makes you feel good and is fun and you just want to do that because that's the thing that makes you feel good. <laughs> and it's just very like base escapism that, you know, over time, fortunate enough to, to turn into something useful. Can you tell me a bit more about the kinds of things you were dealing with that made having music and artwork such an escape for you, if you're comfortable with that, obviously? Yeah, um, I, well, 
there were kind of two to my early childhood there were two strands of um my like bad times and, and my uh i don't know how to put it but just like the the things that were really painful um one was my physical health was very bad um very asthmatic and ended up spending huge chunks of time in hospital at a moment in time when people were making friends at school and so when I came back to school here and there just couldn't fit in Mm. couldn't find a social group Um, that I think was one reason for getting bullied quite badly and then I also had quite bad scarring from a birthmark like right between my legs and that was another like very painful thing at school where you know once people knew about that um just it was a source of mockery you know as I got older the way I dealt with all of that was um just to retreat into my own worlds and do my own thing really um but also to become more kind of strident about who I was and the like I'd been kind of made to feel different and so I just doubled down on that and I Mm. would dress more differently and just do the things I wanted to do because they made me feel good but they kind of contributed to to increase bullying Mm -hmm, and And then I guess that was like between the ages of 6 and 10 11 and then like 11 to 15 was a very different kind of bullying which was kind of built on that but life was, was you know more developed then so there were just more uh, kind of questions around my sexuality. Um, later on, I was working in a shop uh, in central London and the head of security uh, groomed me. Yeah, he was a kind of serial rapist who mm-hmm. would groom young boys and that was very, very difficult. Uh, and I was fortunate to have... A man- uh, the manager of the shop was gay and he luckily recognized and helped me about I don't know six months into this process and got me transferred but then it was kind of followed up with like pretty dark threats of violence and Mm. um, life at that moment in time was actually getting much better socially I'd I'd kind of found my people Um, but it led to a much stranger kind of uh, long-term trauma which I'm still definitely dealing with actually this year was a great year for that in terms of my own personal like development and coming to terms with things why is that because I just had the space I you know I I ended up after school uh going to art school and then going to dropping out of art school and going to university and then finishing university and coming to Berlin and like my life through my 20s was just quite speedy and um by that point I was very deep in the club scene you know I started going out when I was probably 15 or so um was heavily into this music from maybe 13 14 getting to Berlin and spending my 20s um very much just lost in this city and then a kind of career exploding from moment in time you know it's just I I hadn't had the space to unpack why I had become the person I'd become Mm. and looking at how 
certain experiences had, I don't know, subconsciously forced me to become someone and killed, you know, we all contain multitudes. We contain four or five different lives or more, I don't know. But that is streamlined into one life through experiences, through decisions we make, through, um, you know, decisions that other people make and traumas and positive things. You know, all of these things lead us to have one life. But I definitely feel like I had um, many different strands of work and sexuality and just social relations I wanted to explore that has been like um certain things have just been cut off mm-hmm. through bad things that have happened to me yeah you know? I was gonna say it seems like having those experiences when you're so young sort of forces you to grow up faster than you maybe want to yeah and definitely when I was younger I didn't have so many friends who are my age mm-hmm. and I developed a friendship group that was all older than me mm-hmm. um and it's funny because like I def- I felt older when I was younger and as I've gotten older and my life has become more comfortable and kind of more fun I felt younger how old do you feel now oh younger than I've ever felt <laughs> since I've something you know since I was able to form and hold a thought like that I, I would definitely say like yeah I mean even like energetically like I never did any exercise until a couple of years ago really you. and <laughs> you know I feel like I have just as much energy as I've ever felt I've ever had and I feel more curious and more excited by things yeah I was definitely like I don't know just a a bit of a tough walnut kind of psychologically as a a kid because I had to be so what sort of things helped you to survive that time in your life like I know that you started you mentioned that you were doing Mm. paintings and art quite early Mm. on from what I've read, this was something that your family was really encouraging of, like your dad and your grandfather were both artists. Can you talk a bit more about sort of what what you were doing and how that was helping you to escape? Yeah, I was very fortunate to have a family that was um, kind of materially, financially, not very wealthy at all, but in terms of culture and conversation, um, we were really like rich and I, had space and was encouraged to um yeah express myself and and do my own thing and develop it and believe in it and that was the foundation really of of um of all of my creative stuff uh as a kid yeah my dad taught art um at various universities Mm -hmm. and colleges um my mum didn't have a job but in the late 80s and early 90s, you still had a kind of conservative government in the UK that uh, she had like a fairly minor drugs charge. Um, but it meant that, yeah, she found finding like proper work quite hard. Mm. Uh, but it meant that she mothered me full time. I feel just really fortunate to have had, a, you know, one of my parents there all the time and then a broader like real 
kind of just yeah cultural like richness to mm. my childhood so i know that having been raised in this creative household as you said music and art has always been a part of your life and i wonder if maybe like these activities sort of help keep you grounded today because they've sort of always been present in your life like i don't know if you've read this thing online where it's like people who have anxiety watch mm. the same series over and over again because mm -hmm. it helps them because it's familiar mm -hmm. and they know what the outcome is going to be and i wonder if that's sort of something similar for you maybe that like you know retreating back to these familiar activities is something that helps you yeah i, I mean definitely um i need to do something creatively most days otherwise i haven't had a good day i feel it's much, you know, since I've had some of my work in the public eye, or at least some audience for it, I've also needed to create work kind of privately because it's really stressful um, navigating and detaching yourself from other people's opinions about your work. Mm. And I definitely hit, hit a point a few years ago where I felt very strongly like I don't want ever a bigger audience than the one I've currently got because mm. it's just stressful and you know the more people you hit the more opinions you have to deal with sure and but I guess that's also I don't know one of those things where you just can't really control it so it feels quite I imagine yeah you can quite helpless yeah you can do things I mean career-wise you can do lots of things to grow your audience which um again I feel quite fortunate that the relationship I have to what I do um it's not built around that it's it's built around my own needs and i really appreciate having an audience and i really appreciate being able to make a living from something i love doing but there's uh, there's just a lot of tension there going back to the kind of art that you were making as a kid um do you feel that it reflected sort of what you were going through at the time was it sort of an outlet to get out those feelings or were you making art that was like totally the opposite to what you were feeling at the time Hmm, that's a very good question. Um, that, I mean, it's hard for me to remember the the like the motivations for certain projects and things I made when I was younger. You know, I made things which I guess I, f I felt I was capable of making and would come out the way I wanted them, and it was later. And I just had to do more work on myself before I think I could formed a language around internally around the experiences that I wanted to express. Mm. And once I'd formed that language, then you can start making work which draws upon that language. But yeah, that's not something that I've, very few, I can't imagine many people have developed mm. until they're well into their 20s at uh -huh. least. And so what about now? I mean, yeah. it's all a journey, but I, I feel, you know, I have more of a language than I had. Yeah. And I definitely have a sense of who I am and who I still am, even if I'm not openly presenting as a certain way in any given situation. I know now and I can have confidence that I am still that person. I am just through a bunch of things that have happened to me expressing something else at this moment in time. Do you feel like that's changed the way that you approach your work, whether that's art or music? It's funny because I think my work has always had like um, a sense of all of this in it, musically in particular, but that's because only I really, I feel, you know, this might sound 
completely uh, like ego out on a <laughs> flagpole. But I feel like the music, a lot of the music that I've made only really means anything to me. People have their, if, if people like my work, they will just have their own relationship to it. But my kind of multitudes are contained in it and I can feel that and recognize that and it means everything to me. I don't think other people really get that, but that's, and that's fine. I think that is fine also because I think that the good thing about art and music is that you don't necessarily have to like get the meaning behind everything no. in order to enjoy it. No, and I, I don't really want people to, mm. you know, like I want that to be mine and that's sure. what keeps it like mine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Before we sat down today, you mentioned that you hadn't really opened up about quite a few of these experiences mm. publicly before. Um, so how are you feeling now that you have done? Like, does it feel okay to talk about it? Well, I think one of the, this is one of the interesting things about the last year is like that the way I have chosen to present my music and I've only really talked publicly about music because artwork is, that, is stuff that I've kind of kept totally hidden and now I feel like okay there is more work and there are ways I would present that and that kind of has more clear links to a lot of this stuff um, whereas the way I've talked about music in the past is I've created kind of third person narratives around it to say the same thing like I, I definitely talked about being asthmatic and kind of cut off from a certain kind of childhood around my first album like the name of it Susie Ecto was like a fictional name for a nurse who I mean in real life there was a nurse who told my mum that I was going to most likely die that night and I was old enough to understand to overhear this and to understand it and I had this kind of sense of doctors and nurses being harbingers of you know your salvation but also your death mm -hmm. and um you know the name ecto is obviously like a slang word for ecstasy and oh right, it was so, it's a, you know in scotland it's a pill an ecto an ecky uh, and, and down south sometimes but the um yeah so the name was like this nurse whose name is also ecstasy um and drugs are a very obvious like 
reference point for highs and lows and life and death and these kind of things so yeah I, I have had these I have talked about some of these things but there are certainly like many traumas that I have not talked about because it just also didn't feel um like the way it was in the work was uh, uh, something that I don't know felt appropriate but again that is very different if I'm talking about paintings that I've made because it is so present in the work it's all about things we've been talking about today so how does it feel to be sort of exploring these experiences that you've had in in your artwork Mm. compared to you know talking about it with me or with your Mm. friends or your family or something like that um yeah what is it like sort of exploring this in your art I feel lucky to be in a place now mentally where I'm capable of doing that Mm. and I think you know that is um something that's just come with age and um I guess feeling like less matters like the stakes are lower you know and I think this is just something that some people are born with and others aren't and um I often think about this in terms of my DJing and, and how I had this sense of being an only child and like a natural diplomat, like I hated seeing people argue and fight as a kid. And mm. I was aware of my power as a child to like soften and take the edge off situations, which put me on edge. And, you know, putting music on for other people and trying to make people happy who want different things I mean I don't actually like playing to an audience who kind of all want the same thing Mm -hmm. and often like real cheers from certain quarters of the audience is is kind of not what I'm looking for you know I'm looking for a kind of a more just silent kind of tuned inness when I'm DJing from a crowd because for me that is a, a greater sign of collective kind of consciousness and just like you know a group at the front Mm. shouting when you get that sense from a crowd where you can see there are people who want and again I play quite different music at certain times (laughs) and and when I can kind of get people on the same page who I can tell are quite a mixed crowd that brings me the most happiness as a DJ and I think yeah, that's that sense of like diplomacy is quite runs quite deep in me. With something like artwork, it must be quite different because you don't necessarily get to see people's reactions sure. as they're as they're looking at things that you've made. Yeah, and I, I, I mean that's a really like you know I want people to there's always just a I don't know childlike want for people to like work you've done. Sure, but. Um, I guess it matters less. Um, obviously, if you're DJing, like you, you don't want to make people leave. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> that is like you know the, the one of the critical things. Um, with art, that doesn't. It's not the same thing. <laughs> so, true. so um, if they leave, maybe that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed having a look through your recent paintings. You sent them to me mm. before we sat down today, and I can really sense their tone there's one in particular which is sort of this purple side profile with like Mm. a red eye which i think for me anyway really 
speaks to the kind of feelings that you've been talking about. So maybe you can tell me a bit more about the aesthetic of these paintings or the kind of motifs that are within them. So the paintings are almost all um, done in water-based inks and some of them are drawn back into with oil and some of them with pencil. The one that you are referencing is the only one that's been in the public sphere. It was in a book and it was done in response to um, Harold Budd and Cocteau Twins album. The book was like a collection of work that was done in response to this album. And the motifs that run through them are often um, dualities, like two characters or three characters or four characters that um, are uh, just like the figures within us um, and then there will be oftentimes uh, a boat somewhere which is about you know the course of life and the kind of singular course of life but with the many people inside us and there are crosses um, which it's not just like the death of us but like the death of those multiples in order for the singular to, to kind of emerge. Th those are like the, the big core symbols. Different ones have like other little things, which, which is often like feet and sometimes shoes. Um, again, that's just like the boat, like the single path of life. Mm -hmm. And like I find feet kind of a, a very fascinating part of the body. Um, just, it, I mean, when you look at the bone construction of a foot, <laughs> But also, like, I guess the, the what you have on the inside is so lattice-like and complex and just architecturally nuts. And what you have on the outside is often just this extraordinarily gracefully curved exterior. It, I don't know. It's a fascinating part of the body. Lots of the body is fascinating. <laughs> but I think in terms of journeys and just drawing and, and drawing a part of the body I like drawing feet is it nice for you to be able to kind of explain all the sort of concepts and things behind your art in a way that maybe you don't get to talk about your music like that it's much easier because um I hate phrases like you know music is the universal language because on the one hand like yeah I get it it is <laughs> but on the other hand talking about music is usually so dry mm because it's just it doesn't make for good conversation any form of you know if we're talking about Bach or you know Marco Carola it, it doesn't matter I find it all kind of dry um whereas talking about art um whilst it can often be really pretentious it's just easier and so in terms of the making of this art do you find that it's difficult to get to this zone of like staying present when you're making art that deals with you know, past experiences of trauma, um, or maybe alternatively, it means that it kind of clears your head in a way that lets mm. you reach that zone elsewhere in your life. I don't know about that. I mean, it's definitely, it helps you just understand, or it helps me understand things uh, that have happened to me. And to find a way to come to terms with that mm -hmm. and express that and... Yeah, I think that's all it is, really. So you've done some artwork for some of your releases as well. Mm -hmm. How was that experience for you? Like, did you find 
that you are in a different headspace when you're creating something that is for your releases versus, yeah, yeah yeah definitely and like often there'll be i mean um the artwork for the first record i did with paris which i designed but really i was just putting together some photographs that my uncle had taken uh he lived in new york in the kind of early to mid 80s and um you know it was just nice to to use these wonderful photographs and and do some layout there are like yeah there are i did a poster uh that and some drawings that have been on artworks and that's all just been like you know project by project what do i feel like doing mm-hmm. for this release mm-hmm. no deep meanings really <laughs> yeah. so yeah very different do you ever reach this state of sort of flow i guess that we've been talking about without the help of creation like I think a lot of people can point to something like listening to music or Mm. yoga or something um, that really gives them that opportunity for me I don't find that I ever really reach that sort of zone unless I'm doing an interview Mm. Um, what is that like for you yeah definitely I can have that moment with friends just hanging out um, being lost in a conversation with someone Mm. I can have it on my own I mean um, you know, I guess like a cliche might be lying in a boat on a lake on a beautiful day and your hands in the water and you're just like lost in the <laughs> well, that was so bliss, nice to hear. like scene and like, <laughs> like physical feeling of that. Yeah, it could be, um, yeah, just, I, I think with people and on your own in, in particularly like peaceful settings tranquil settings yeah you can definitely find that just serenity i guess it's a kind of serenity Mm -hmm. so in an interview you said that during a dj set everything in your head sort of just melts away and that's one of the great things about this job uh you said it's important to be in an open state absorbing Mm -hmm. details and not just in a kind of tunnel vision Mm -hmm. um can you speak a bit about that you we talked about this earlier in our conversation Mm -hmm. but can you speak a bit about that and why it's important to be in this sort of open and absorbing state? I think that curiosity is the only thing that drives your kind of creative growth and and personal growth and not like turning into a cynical, like rusty fossil. Um, (laughs) I don't know what that is, but uh, I think that just questioning and picking at things and wondering and asking yourself questions about what you're observing um, is really important to being in that place, in that good place when you're performing. Um, I think I've always been someone, because I love music in a really broad sense, Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to take people to a place where if I play something that, you know, they'd never normally listen to, they appreciate it. Mm. That's like the, the basic job I am doing that keeps me happy and hopefully keeps them happy. So I need cues. If I'm going to do that well, I, I kind of, I can only ground that journey in, in the people in front of me. And I guess because you are looking for different cues than maybe another DJ is, like you said, that you're not really interested in like this big crowd cheering, you're interested in a different kind of engagement with your music, I guess you need to be a bit more, paying paying a bit more attention than somebody else, for example. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, you know, if you're having a really bad gig, 
my advice is always just play to one person. Mm. Find someone that's having a good time and just play to them. Because mm. it's a bad gig and, you know, you don't like the crowd. And at least you've given someone a great night, hopefully. If you're playing a much better gig, then... You, what you know you can do a lot more in a way maybe I mean actually maybe you can do loads just playing to one person but <laughs> I, I feel in it, it's a more complex job that really uh yeah I need those cues I need to be looking for things which are beyond the few people who are like cheering a lot at you know such and such moments I was gonna ask um what if what if, for example, like the sound system is really bad or like, you know, there's some other sort of technical something that is going wrong. Like, how is it for you to kind of get over that and get back to this state that you need to be in? Technically, um, I really enjoy playing on trashy setups that don't work very well. And when you find an issue like uh, that, you know, channel on the mixer doesn't work properly or it leaks at the bottom or, you know, the mid on that EQ doesn't work. Uh, that is just a fun thing to fold into. Um, limitations lead to all sorts mm. of things happening in a set that wouldn't normally happen, and that's fun. And it's always, I think, important to not have, not have to have everything perfect to be able to perform well. Mm. If the sound system's crap, fine. I mean, it's just a bad sound system. And I've played so many gigs on shitty, shitty sound systems that um, a good sound system is like no one should have that expectation <laughs> I don't care who you are but if you're really good you should have a lot of fun on a bad sound system and if you're really good you should be great on shitty equipment do you think that that's also just easy for you to say because you are a skilled DJ like if you were not good at your job then it wouldn't be as easy to get past all that do you know what I mean sure but I also you know I learned how to DJ on belt drive turntables and if, if you learn how to, but that's because I didn't have money for direct drive turntables when I was like 14 and I first bought turntables mm. and I saved up from like paper rounds and I worked in a church and, you know, I could afford two belt drive decks and it was really good to learn for two years on those before I had the money for direct drive. If, if you learn how to mix uh, because you're rich and you can just afford to buy, you know, the latest CDJs, um, you will be thrown if you're working on something that's not very good. And I don't know, like, that's there's nothing wrong with that. But equally, I just don't think it's good to be charging people money and, like, have to be... You have, if you take a gig and you've signed a contract, you have to be able to deliver. Mm -hmm. Even if your riders... I mean, you know, my rider has changed a lot over the years but the, the first iterations of it there were two pages of like okay if you haven't been able to remove feedback try this if you're still having problems and um, i don't want to see like you know those free form floaty cushions under the decks then go and get four ashtrays put rubber bands around them put them under each foot of the turntable and it will work much better and we should get rid of most of the feedback like mm -hmm. it, it had detailed things for like we can troubleshoot a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. and it'll get to a point where the crowd will not notice and i can just about mix and it's fine it's my job like i i am charging people a load of money to come and play and so i should have some of the answers for this Definitely. I, I hate the idea that you turn up and you're just like 
oh, what is what is that? A, a CDJ 900? I'm sorry, I'm going back to the hotel. This is over. I mean, what the fuck? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> You've also said that when you're DJing, it's a very improvised thing. Like, you're not somebody who just comes and plays, like, they're, they're set. It's very dependent on the crowd and the environment. Mm. Um, so can you speak to the, the role that sort of staying present in that plays in that situation, like... Does it just have to do with reading the room or is mm. there something else that maybe is going on? Um, no, I just, uh, I, I listen to lots of music at home. I collect it, I pack it up in different ways. Now it's great with like just USBs. I can turn up with, you know, I have like one terabyte SSDs now that I can perform off and I will try and find and go as far as I can with the crowd. Um, sometimes I don't. I just want to play some house music and mm. like it just like dial it right down on that front. But it's important to not turn up with too many preconceptions mm. and also have some range. And then it's like, okay, that's what I feel like doing today. Going back to this um, state of being in the, being in the zone. Mm. Um, so, has it ever been a challenge for you to get there? Like for me, as I said, I kind of reach this flow state when I'm interviewing. But yeah. I think if I have a lot of other things going on in my life or in my head, then I can get really distracted, um, and it takes more effort than it usually would. So, I wonder what that is like for you. I mean, hundred percent. You you know, things happen every day that make it like either easier or harder to, to hit that point. And um, yeah, obviously, as as you do it more, I think you get better at finding your way through when you're having a bad day. You know, that's when it's hard. If you're having a good day, it might be easy. And obviously, it's nightclubs, so um, I, I am not a teetotal person. Like, there are times where I'm like, I just need three drinks and I'll be fine. (laughs) And other times where I'm like, I'm really looking forward to playing sober tonight and I will feel even better because like, you know, that I know that like I can do it in a sober state. So how do you feel after the fact if you have had a hard time with your set? Like I find it funny sometimes that like when I feel I've been distracted or if I feel like I've not been present, um, I can really tell, but I think that other people... can't really tell so you have that conversation all the time where you just think god that was so bad i'm so sorry to everyone that was there and then you know people are coming up to you and like slapping you and saying it's great and uh yeah sure that dissonance is just part of the job and i've come to accept it Mm. um 
there's a lot of dissonance in I think taking what's going on in our head and making sense of it in environments where other people are just having a totally different time of it mm. and that's one of the really strange things about DJing what about when you're making music I know mm. that you kind of like to be in isolation when you're working mm. is that because you sort of like to be in your in your own head a little bit and that mental space is maybe something that you're just used to yeah there's a couple of reasons for that one is I like the space to explore things in ways that I think would drive other people mad <laughs> uh, if we were in a room together uh, the times I have made music with other people in a room, it's not an equal situation because often there is a computer interfacing the work. So someone tends to do more of the job in terms of just operating the computer or operating the machines. And the other person falls into like throwing out suggestions or, you know, messing about on something else. And, and like, that's fine and, and lots of people love working like that but um when i'm collaborating i just prefer the remote it's easier mm-hmm. for me <laughs> <laughs> so is it hard for you to create when you don't have that mm. mental space like i'm not just talking about collaboration but just if you're working on your own and you don't mm. can't like get into this same sort of presence that we've been talking about i mean part of making music is accepting the the truth that for everyone there are days you turn up you make everything you touch dramatically worse <laughs> in a way you like you can feel like i i really fucked it today <laughs> i like I, you know i started on one thing really like i've overcooked it uh I, I, the, by the time i realized i was like okay put that to bed i start on something else i took that to pieces and i don't know how to put it back to, you know you have days like that and you have to accept it is it important for you to work on things even on the days that you fuck it up yeah totally and you know the the difference between doing this job um and it becoming a profession and it's sustaining as a profession and my productivity remaining something that i feel content with really relies on just turning up every morning and working Mm -hmm. till your ears are done or you just have to go and do something else and going to bed like when you're touring every weekend going to bed on sunday night at pretty early hour when you've gotten home from the last journey so that you wake up you know at a reasonable hour on monday and can kind of get back into the week pretty quickly is important to me Mm. i can't kind of come around on wednesday and (laughs) kind of look into the weekend starting on thursday what else do you need in order to be your best creatively uh your routine is just so important um but on top of that i mean i've always had a pretty steady relationship with alcohol but i do think it's been improved by having a couple of nights off a week (laughs) which is something that in the last few years i've gotten much better at i'm a massive introvert in terms of i get my energy from being alone but i can only really be a good introvert if i have time with other people and, and actually like you know catching up with certain friends uh is important to me and seeing them fairly regularly it's obviously been a strange year for that but yeah that's very important to me and you know as i've gotten older i've found i've had less interest in looking at art partly because i hate the art world 
kind of the contemporary art world so much. Mm. But then I'll come across people that I just completely blow my mind and I become quite obsessed with. But that has definitely been replaced by just reading more and I, um, I get a lot from reading. That was a really nice way of describing being an introvert wanted to say. Oh, <laughs> um, so I'd like to speak a bit more about your first record, which you mentioned, Susieto. Mm-hmm. And I read online that when you were making it, it was quite a hard time for you. And also uh, you had a friend of yours pass away. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering how all of that impacted your work. Like, was that one of those times where you just couldn't tune it all out and kind of reach this presence that you normally Yeah, do? I mean, so... Um... My friend Brad was, um, he had gone to Taiwan um, having studied Chinese art and restoration and he was working with um, a professional restorer as an apprentice and it was like a kind of six year or seven year apprenticeship and um, the, I, I mean, the relationship to drugs and I mean his grandparents lived in Hong Kong and he had always used drugs um, his mother had been a heroin addict and uh, he had kind of periodically had a pretty messy relationship with heroin as well and he was at the time buying uh, the tools and the chemicals to make GHB at home and he basically died of a bad combination of GHB and Valium because of the time difference um, I was talking to him you know in the kind of in the middle of my day Mm -hmm. every few days we'd have kind of a check-in and I was trying to help him through what was quite a bad time and um sometimes he was very strung out and I got into the habit of I found the best way to try and help him with that was literally to play back to him you know a conversation we'd had a few days before saying when he was more present and sober this is how you sounded like shit's bad we've got to get you back to the UK we've got to get you to there's a you know friend of mine that um could really help him in the UK and has like set up like a very good charity that offers people free help um, dealing with these issues. Anyway, um, he died and I was kind of left in the middle of making this record with, um, you know, just very strange conversations um, recorded with him. And I, you know, like, was struggling with how to reconcile a lot of like what I would be going through in the studio in the hours after talking to him um, with the work I'd been doing in the studio in the hours before I'd been talking you know like I'd be in a very different headspace after these conversations anyway I ended up using some just pieces of his voice in subtly in some of the compositions as a way to kind of memorialize him Mm. and that moment in time and um yeah I think you know it was at the time very difficult to know um and it was also like I was touring um quite a you know it was a period in my life where I was getting to play abroad 
regularly for the first time. And um, I just think one of the really shitty things about the life once you start playing more regularly that you just end up having because you're tired is you just don't have the bandwidth to process things properly Mm. and to engage with things properly. And yeah, I definitely think that it, it took me quite just much longer than it should have taken to really, I don't know, reflect on that strange period in a way that um, was just real and honest. sense that when you listen back to the record now do you I mean for me it's all there but I think um yeah like I said earlier other people were just that record also um was a real like strange leap in my career because I when I was making it um I didn't think it would do as well as it did Mm. and then it just kind of took on a life of its own and um that was something that yeah it it just took me a while and I didn't make my second you know I had been more productive up until that point and I, it took me a while to recalibrate after that record because it had just it felt like it had been taken away from me mm. by and, and you know in a way I'm not complaining about it just took on life of its own you also mentioned once that your second record felt a bit more focused in comparison to the first um is that just because of what you were going through yeah and i think i i had found a better place um you know for some of the things i was just talking about like they weren't contributing to me being in a particularly good place making the first record and the second record i had a real like clear idea of what i wanted to achieve with this record and how i was going to do it uh, and what i wanted it to be and I also, at a similar time, did the mix for Fabric and mm. had a very like clear... At that moment in time, I would take on a project or I'd start a project with, like, I know what I want this to be and I could do it. Mm-hmm. I, and it, that was just a moment in time. Like, after, since then, I have enjoyed kind of working in a very different way, more open-ended, less, like, total vision way mm-hmm. but at that time yeah that that, that second album was a product of, of that period so you're working on a couple of new releases that are due out in autumn mm-hmm. how has it been making those very nice doing lots of clubs like in the middle of the pandemic i went through a lot of time just loving going to the studio and making i mean they're not like in your face bangers I mean, I think all of my club material has a slightly reflective quality to it. But yeah, just engineering stuff for the club and like doing it quite loud in the studio and just enjoying that. (laughs) It wasn't getting it anywhere else. (laughs) 
Uh, so it's mostly a result of that. Do you feel like your perspective on creativity is going through changes or maybe like an evolution? Yes, uh, but that's only because, you know, my curiosity leads me on to different things all the time. So I think that's something that's always in flux. And how do you hope that your connection to creativity will continue to change over the years? I just pray. I mean, when I see people who are in old age that I love and feel are, a, you know, something to aspire towards, they're all people that are still curious and still, they're, you know, they're not jaded with the news. Mm-hmm. They'll read the news and be like, that's the news. <laughs> not all news is the same and always has been and, is, you know, that is not what you want to become. So I just hope to stay, like, yeah, curious. Do you hope that your connection or that the connection, sorry, uh, between creativity and happiness like continues to stay sort of intertwined for you or like do you hope to one day I don't know live without creativity I think I'm too messed up to ever achieve that You've been listening to Call Super for Air Podcast, episode 37. We'll be back on the last Wednesday of every month, so check back again in September for another episode. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at at underscore air podcast, or visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash air podcast. If you're enjoying air and you'd like to hear more stories like these ones, check out Bear Radio, Berlin's English-speaking podcast network. Air is produced in partnership with Bear Radio, which is home to dozens of other great shows. There are currently 24 podcasts and hundreds of episodes available for you, so head to bearradio.org to listen. See you again for episode 38, and thanks for listening. <laughs>